0: From the National Pharmaceutical Congress, this is the NPC Podcast for April 28, 2021. The NPC Podcast is all about discussing and considering the purpose, process and people of the pharma industry during the age of COVID. Today, we'll continue the healthcare conversation by answering questions from listeners like you. The NPC Podcast is presented in cooperation with Imprez. Imprez best-in-class commercial solutions offer top-line and bottom-line growth with maximum salesforce flexibility, speed, and efficiency. Learn more about their next-generation commercial model at www.mprez.com. On today's podcast, our guest is Josh Neiman. He's Senior VP and Chief Commercial Officer for North America and Europe of Beijing. Your host today from our studio in Toronto is Peter Brenders. But first, here's Mitch Shannon of Chronicle Companies.
1: Hey, Leona. Nice to have you back for our fourth season of podcasts, but you don't sound like your old self. To be honest,
0: my throat's feeling a little rough. I think it's because I got my first vaccination shot yesterday.
1: Ah, when's
0: the next jab scheduled? The next shot is scheduled in 14 weeks. Well, finally this summer we'll be able at least to get together for a drink.
1: And how I look forward to that. But first, we have a bunch of podcasts to do. We're starting our new series with what John Cleese used to call something completely different. You've probably heard of beige. It's a color many regard as actually kind of boring. But you're going to be hearing a lot more about Beijing, which is a pharma company operating in the oncology space. And there's nothing at all boring going on there. That's the word from Peter's guest today, Josh Neiman of Beijing. Here's Josh in conversation with Peter.
2: Welcome to the NPC Podcast. I'm Peter Brenders, your host. In our continuing look at the purpose, process, and people in pharma in Canada, this opening episode for Season 4 takes a look at Canada from the outside. And in particular, we will talk with a senior executive of a global pharmaceutical company that wants to bring their products to Canadians. Joining us today from San Mateo, California, is Josh Niemann. Senior Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer, North America and Europe for Beijing Limited. Welcome to the NPC Podcast, Josh.
3: Thanks, Peter. I really appreciate you having me on.
2: Okay, before I jump into the obvious question of why Canada, I think our listeners would like a little info on Beijing, not to be confused with Beijing. So perhaps you can give us a little insight or background on your company.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I imagine that you know for most of your... Listening audience and for Canadians generally, Beijing is is a relatively new company. You know, while we're just now entering uh, Canada, the company's actually been around for about ten years. We celebrated our our ten year anniversary just last year, in uh, 2020. Uh, The company's roots actually are are in China. It probably comes as no surprise. You know, it was founded by John Euler and Zhao Dong Wang back in, in 2010. Now, John uh, was a serial entrepreneur. He had started a number of companies. At the time, he had just started a company in uh, China that was a contract research organization, uh, a CRO, focusing on identifying new molecules for development. And he was introduced to Zhao Dong while he was in China. Now, if you're not familiar with Zhao Dong, he's a world renowned scientist, considered one of the fathers of of apoptosis, did uh, uh, research here in the U.S. uh, at the University of Texas Southwestern for many, many years. And he had returned to China. And so John and Zia Dong, you know, had both heard about each other from many other folks and were told, hey, you guys really need to meet. And one day they, they had the, the good fortune of actually meeting. And at the time, Zia Dong actually approached John and, you know, laid out this vision for a biotech company and, and thought that John would be a phenomenal partner. And he wanted John to return with him to the U.S. to start the company. And John said, you know, I'm, I'm excited to do it. It sounds like a great idea, but we're going to do it in China. And the reason for that was John, you know, based on his experience, had looked at all the investment that was flowing into China to shore up their research opportunities, build these world lead cancer institutes, et cetera. And he just saw an opportunity to actually make a real meaningful change in the pace of development for drug discovery. You know what, what he was quite familiar with was, you know it takes over 10 years for drugs to typically meet a patient you know from initial lead identification, but the cost is exorbitant. Running clinical trials is, is incredibly challenging. And what he saw in China was an opportunity to accelerate the development of drugs, not just for Chinese patients, but really for global patients. And so from the very beginning, you know, Beijing's inception, if you will, was founded around this principle of, can they leverage China to accelerate the pace of drugs for patients all around the world? And so that, that was the initial vision that led to the founding of the company. And at the time, you know, they they went after you know not necessarily first-in-class molecules, but but molecules that would lead to to best-in-class outcomes. So can they improve on existing classes? Now today, the company is moving into first-in-class as well. Our focus is on oncology. Uh, you know, we're in uh, a number of countries around the world. You know, China, you know, the U.S., now Canada, going in, into Europe. or Australia. Australia was actually the second country. Beijing moved into. So while our roots are in, China really is a global biotech doing what we can to accelerate the development of drugs for patients globally, and perhaps most importantly, trying to get them to patients as quickly as we can, regardless of where they are, and really with a keen focus on developing drugs that are meaningful advances and are able to be more accessible. So you know, that's Beijing in the nutshell.
2: Okay. So so what I'm hearing though, is it's not your usual startup company story. So China first, and I, I get the, the rationale behind that is you know, where the money can make the most difference quickly and the space. But then you talked about going to Australia and then the U S and then Canada and the world. And so help us understand sequencing. Like, What do you look at when you're thinking about which country next? Like what criteria are you using to, to look at places and invest and and bring that care to patients?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Australia, if you're not familiar with it is, is actually a country that works very closely with biotech and pharma to open up clinical trials very, very rapidly. And so there was an opportunity in the Australian environment to actually get our trials open and enrolled. And so with this idea that we're going to accelerate the development of drugs and take advantage of every opportunity that we can, Australia actually is a a phenomenal environment for early stage companies looking to get their clinical trial programs off and running. And they've been a tremendous partner for Beijing generally and, and continue to be so today. And so, you know, that was really how Australia became a key component of Beijing's initial outreach. And then, of course, you know, as you look to sort of building a global biotech, the U.S. is home to a number of researchers. There's a lot of key talent on the, on the research and development side here as well. And so the next logical place for the company to come from an R&D standpoint was, was the U.S. But there, I think our path begins to diverge perhaps a bit more from the traditional model, which is as we then look to other countries to, to sort of commercialize our drugs, most big pharma companies, right, they take a step back and they say, okay, where can we go that will maximize the market opportunity? You know, where can we go that has the best opportunity for profitability? And while certainly profitability is important to us as a company, revenue is important We're a business, what's equally important to us is getting our medicines to as many patients as, as we can, as quickly as we can. And So we like to talk about the fact that Beijing is trying to get not just the typical 2 billion patients that are addressed, you know, through the U.S., Europe. Canada, and perhaps, you know, if you include uh, China as well, but to go to f- 4 billion patients now globally, right? And so, Bain is really, is really focused on ensuring that we can reach 4 billion patients with our medicines. And what that requires us to do is just not pursue the, the typical path, but to figure out how can we get to all of these patients as, as quickly as we can? Because patients are waiting. I mean, there are countries in, around the world... I don't even have access to a park inhibitor today, despite the fact that many are approved and have broad access to other countries because companies have just been loath to go there you know, because they can't make the numbers work. And for us, we start with the patient uh, and that's led us now to take some moves that I think other
2: uh, companies may not have pursued themselves. You're listening to the NPC Podcast. I'm Peter Brenders, your host. Okay, so let's bring it back to Canada then. So I, I hear the story of Australia, great partner. Not something I often hear about with Canada. So that's not the reason to come here. I hear the US story in terms of the great research, great market and, and size and interest in patients. So that's you know, not always sort of the story behind Canada. So, how does Canada fit at the top of that list in terms of your first ex China market to launch your product for a rare cancer for Waldenstrom's? Like, help, help me understand that.
3: You know, some of the credit goes to Canada, a lot of it, if you will. We've filed well, Waldenstrom's in a number of countries to date that uh, help Canada was the first country to to actually get through the assessment and and lead to the approval. And if you're not familiar with the study that uh, led to this initial approval in Canada, it's uh, based off the Aspen trial, which was a phase three head-to-head study of our BTK inhibitor, Xanobrutinib, versus a standard care BTK inhibitor, the And, you know, the study was one of the largest ever conducted in in Waldenstrom's, if not the largest. And when we filed, you know, we felt really confident about the data. The outcomes were clear win for patients with Waldenstrom's. And what we found in working with health candidates, you know, they were very thoughtful in their assessment of the data. But ultimately, I think that that they saw what we saw. And it's that this is an option that, that needs to be made available for patients. And fortunately, the filing was fast-tracked and led to very speedy approval. And so we're in this interesting situation now where we were committed to commercializing in Canada as quickly as we can. And lo and behold, we're in in the very fortunate spot where Canadian patients, you know, are are now able to hopefully access Xenobrutinib now. You know, of course, there's a lot more to do to to ensure that there's broad access within the country, but, you know, Health Canada did their part now that the drug is available.
2: Okay. So let's talk about sort of Canada compared to some other countries. So I hear your thoughts on on health Canada, but how would you say, you know, in, in the view of the senior team at, at Beijing, how do you think Canada compares to other countries like those in Europe, for example?
3: Yeah, no, thanks. It's a, it's a great question. I mean, I think certainly Canada is much more similar to Europe than it is to the U.S., both in terms of the way it operates and in terms of the evaluation of drugs that are filed there and ultimately reimbursement, and even with the with the role that the various provinces play in ultimately deciding whether or not patients get access to initial therapy. You know, I think one of the open questions for us and, and one of the things that was a debate is, okay, we think we have a really strong clinical profile. There's a clear outcome here that will stand to benefit patients, but what's the probability that it's actually going to get covered and reimbursed? You know, there have been examples where drugs that appear to have uh, meaningful advances for, for patients ultimately don't get reimbursed or companies that are thinking about going to Canada decide not to for fear that that's not going to happen. And so I do think that there's a bit of a difference when you look at the way that Canada evaluates medicines and ultimately decides whether or not they should be paid for that is a bit slower, I'd say, than what you'd encounter in a country like Germany, right? Germany has a very rigorous assessment in terms of how they reimburse and for how much, but they're very focused on taking an approval and making that lead to immediate access for patients. I mean, if, if the health authority has decided that it's a clinical advance that warrants access for patients in Germany, you know, it's available the very next day. I think in contrast to a place like Canada, as I well, there are private markets that offer the opportunity, there are a minority of patients who can access those. And so really the open question for us is just how long is it going to take for us to get reimbursement and be able to provide you know, a drug that we think is a meaningful advance, that Health Canada agrees is a meaningful advance for patients, just how long is it going to take for us to be able to, to really maximize the number of patients who will be able to access it?
2: So that must really challenge sort of your the philosophy of the company, then? I mean, I, I'd look at the tagline cancer has no borders, neither do we. But as you just mentioned, like different countries, different borders present different challenges. It must be quite the discussion. I, I'd appreciate understanding a little bit more, sort of that senior level discussion, understanding that in some markets where the systems will pick up their patients and look after them quickly, in some markets they won't. Like, does that affect your priority setting?
3: You know, just going back to the earlier point, we do start with how can we get our medicines to patients as quickly as we can? Now, certainly the priority setting comes into play with how complex is that going to be? And so, you know, we need to start earlier in places that are gonna be more complex, but if we can get our medicine to patients quicker in one country, not because of the profitability associated with it, but just because the government is going to move more more quickly to provide access, that might certainly affect the prioritization. But you know, if you ask anyone that, that works at, at Beijing today, what you're going to find is we're trying to get our medicines to all patients as fast as we can. You've seen it in our public disclosures for, for where we filed. There are other filings underway. And so it is it is a constant source of discussion, but we have an employee-based executive team that is committed you know, not, not just to having these be words, but words that are followed by action. And so today we're, we are really focused on getting on medicines everywhere as we can in Canada now really represents for, for us a, a phenomenal opportunity because we see a real strong clinical benefit for xenobutinib today. And Walden in we anticipate that our other studies and in, in other malignancies will also confer you know, similar results. And so for us, hopefully this is the beginning of, of what we anticipate will be you know, a very long relationship with the Canadian government and most
2: importantly with Canadian patients. You're listening to Josh Neiman, Chief Commercial Officer for Beijing. So it'll come as no surprise to our listeners that uh, I've spent a little bit of time reading more on Beijing and its founders and its approach to care. And, and I reflect on sort of John Euler and, and Dong Wang's vision to create something meaningful. And it's and funny, it reminds me of of Henry Tamir at Genzyme some 30 years ago as he pioneered treatments for rare diseases in terms of something meaningful, something different. What do you think the Beijing vision today is for growth? Tell me what that future is looking like.
3: Certainly. So what you have likely discovered in your assessment of us is you know, Beijing has a very strong commitment and real investment in developing and discovering medicines that are meaningful advances. And so you know, it's a, perhaps a bit cliche to take a company like Genentech as example, you know, and and sort of say, you want to be the next Genentech. You know, Beijing wants to be more than that, I think. Genentech defined itself by showing that they could really advance the science, right? Be science forward and and make really meaningful advances across a number of disease areas. We absolutely want to do that. And I think that the, the and part comes into play with, you know, again, the keen focus on ensuring that patients globally have access. It's not enough to simply focus on the biggest markets. Cancer does not discriminate back to the earlier question. you know when we say cancer has no borders, neither do we, That speaks to our ambition and to the fact that there are patients around the globe. Their countries have theoretical borders. They're not physical borders, or perhaps in some cases they are. But the disease blows right through those. And, you know, we would like to blow through them as well in terms of providing access. And so that's something that I think, you know, every employee uh, really feels and believes. And it's that commitment, you know, to get to 4 billion patients if we can, I mean, of course, four billion is is the ultimate. I hope four billion patients don't don't need our drugs. That would mean that four four billion individuals are actually you know, suffering from cancer. But at least if if any of those individuals, you know, should have the unfortunate circumstance where they find themselves needing a medicine to treat their disease, our hope is that we will be
2: there for them. Okay. Well, let me selfishly ask then. So, what does the future hold for Beijing's presence in Canada? Where do you see the corporate investment in our country?
3: Yeah. Again, I go back to the, to the point around, you know, it's a long-term relationship. It's a real investment. And I think you can look at the way that we've approached the market and the way that we've resourced it as evidence of that commitment. Now, as you mentioned earlier, we're already there very, very early on in our commercialization efforts. But beyond that, you know, we've been really thoughtful about, you know, trying to establish our Canadian presence with Canadians. But right? I mean, I think a lot of other companies will, will look at Canada. As an opportunity to sort of provide headquarter, you know, a talent with, you know, hey, get some experience in a foreign market. That's not our approach. Beijing's approach is to go to local markets and build affiliates based with local expertise because we intend to be there for the long run. As we look to Beijing's presence in Canada today, obviously, we have one drug that's been approved. We have a very robust pipeline with other molecules that are under development, constantly looking to in-license other molecules as well. And so I think five to 10 years from now, you're going to see that Beijing is a strong partner for Canadian patients in the fight against cancer. And it's not going to be just one drug, it'll hopefully be many, many more.
2: You've been listening to Josh Neiman, Chief Commercial Officer of Beijing Limited on the NPC podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Josh and Peter. If you want to know more about the company,
1: check out beigene.com. And if you have comments or questions about the discussion you just heard, we've got lots of ways for you to connect with us. You can direct message us on Twitter at 2020NPC. That's easy. You can send an email to health at chronicle.org or, better yet, attach a voice clip and we'll use your voice in a future episode. You can also grab your phone and call our comment line at 647-873-6995. Like I said, lots of ways to connect with the NPC podcast. Listeners, why not join the 200 delegates who have already registered for the National Pharma Congress Spring Webinar on May 12th. We're featuring Brian Heath of Amgen, Marissa Poole of Sanofi, and Eileen McMahon of Tories. Ben Perry of Pangaea is the moderator, and I will be your host on the theme of navigating pharma's post-COVID roadmap. Registration's free, but space is limited, so sign up now at www.pharmacongress.info. If you like today's podcast, tell your colleagues about it. It's on Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The NPC Podcast was presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next generation commercial partner. Visit them at www.imprez.com. This is Mitch Shannon of Chronicle Companies here in Toronto. The producer is Jeremy Visser. Our announcer is Leona Ford. The musical theme is performed by the NPC Podcast Orchestra under the direction of Maestro Wilhelm Milbrook. Stay safe. We'll talk again next week.